This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And we learned that you're only able to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. A lot of people don't think of that. A lot of people just hear it, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. You love yourself, love others. But it's actually only as much as you love yourself are you going to be able to love your neighbor. That's it. You can't love anyone more than that. And let me explain why. The reason why is because when we don't love ourselves, all relationships are usury. All relationships are basically how others make you feel. And even our, like, closest, like, even, even our parents, you'll notice you feel one way you call this parent, you feel another way you call that parent. You, we're, we're, we're really trying to feel better all the time via people. Via people, which means we're ultimately... We're like sucking our well-being out of others, which is kind of a vampire way of living in life, is, is sucking our well-being out of everyone else. The Torah, goes, the Torah cuts straight to the chase by saying, And you will love others, as you love yourself. Now, a principle that I've learned over the years, is that your life is only as good as your relationships. Your life is only as good as your relationships. Think about that. Think about that. Let's say someone who's like kind of avoiding relationships, dealing with more like money and stuff like that, and he just doesn't have the best relationships, not with his or herself, not with others, but they've made their, like, their life's going to be as good as their, as their uh, wealth. How good is their life? as good as their relationships. That's it. Their life's only going to be as good as their relationships. One of their kids has gone off, you know, off a, far away, run away from the home, run away from the values. That's all he's going to be thinking about all day, all night. That's it. His, his life is only as good as his relationships. So if our relationship with ourselves is, is good, if our relationship with ourselves is what you'll see as the class goes on is normal, like, sane. So as long as you're sane in your relationship with yourself, which is an amazing relationship with yourself, that would be sanity. So then your relationships with others is going to be really cracking. And also your relationship with God, as I don't know if we'll have time for that. This was more part of the meditation yesterday. But you'll realize your relationship with God is, is right there, like totally direct there. And it all starts with you. It all starts with you. Many years ago, about 16 years ago, I started a program called The Possible You, which this is a bit of a taste of. And, the, and that's when I realized, like, we are all living inside a narrative, which is basically crazy, that comes from our childhood. And the reason that happens is because, see, today as adults, if something goes wrong throughout your day, you know. Call a best friend, call your spouse, call somebody and let it out. We know you got to release the stuff that comes your way. If you don't release that stuff, it's just human nature. Even our dreams are releasing a lot of the unconscious stimulation that came our way during the day. And when we go to sleep at night, so we dream it out. We got to get stuff out. We got to purge. We suck it in and we got to spit it out. But when you're that little child and you're about four years old, you're five years old, you're six, you don't have the words for this. You don't have the words for this. 
And you're not exactly coming back to your parents to tell them the whole story. I don't know if you don't want to disappoint them. I don't know what's going on with you, but every little kid, they don't share the story. Now, thank God I've learned an amazing lesson. And if my kid comes home with those big eyes and his mouth shut, or her mouth shut, and they come home like that, I drop everything and I take that child on a really long walk until they talk. And then they talk and they start talking about what happened that day. And then I say to them, wow, you must have really believed about yourself that you are, you know, a piece of garbage. And, and they're like, and then you probably said to yourself, you're, you're never, ever going to try to get picked for another play or picked for another team. And they're like, that's right, never trying that again. And then I go to this step three. Step one was the story about the child. Step two was what they're going to choose from now on as a personality move, that they never get hurt again like that. The personality move in this case was a flight. A flight means they're going to never try out again for the team or for the plays. That's step two is the flight. Now, some people fight. I was fight as a kid. I was like, I was going to conquer socially the world when I felt that feeling inside when I was a little kid and I got terribly embarrassed once and I felt like such a loser, so unacceptable. And I immediately took on step two, which was I'm going to be cool in the eyes of all. And you hear it's trapped in my voice. Like you can hear my voice. Is, it literally built my voice, which today is a wonderful public speaking voice. But it didn't come naturally. It came because of my vocal cords are literally trained to d- command attention. It's wild. Like we're built out of this. Our muscles are built out of this. Our facial muscles, our body, our weight, our, our and the only reason I discovered this work was because my because it also attacks part of the bodies. And the loser, unacceptable, got, got attached to my colon. And 16 years ago, right before it was removed, while I was in South Africa, before Rabbi Warren was the chief rabbi, and, I, and the rabbi of South Africa at the time was, there were 750 people waiting for me to speak. And the rabbi's like, Rabbi Glazer, are you ready to go on? It's time. I said, I was like, is there a bathroom back here? He's like, now? And it was at that point when I realized that I had this, this inc- insane narrative that it all developed because I didn't share it because I was a little kid. And at that point, that began my healing. There was no surgery. There was no nothing. All, all my intolerances, which was basically to food. <laughs> I eventually got to food intolerance. And it all disappeared. I just enjoyed a nice milk and coffee. And... Uh, Fried eggs and uh, ham. Just kidding. And, uh, <laughs> was that a book, Fried Eggs and Ham? Or something? Green eggs. Green eggs. Sorry, green eggs. <laughs> and, and that began my healing, and that began the Possible Use Seminar, which I created 16 years ago. Step three with my child. 
was when they said, that's right, I'm not ever trying out again, which is fight or flight. Flight and me being the coolest kid in town in L.A., fight or flight, fight. These are our personality moves. Now, believe me, our personality moves, I mean, they, they, you have multiple moves. Multiple, multiple moves. It has woven a web that people today call personality. It has woven a web called personality. That web called personality is protecting us from an insane belief that came as a child because our parents didn't even know what was going on to what I call restory, meaning I restory my children. Their, their narrative's developing, and I catch it, and then I restory them. Because you can restory a kid before it's too late. You can actually restory a kid. The Possible You Seminar is just about restoring yourself. Restoring. Restoring yourself to your factory settings. The factory settings that God created. The Tzelem Elohim. The portion of God that you are. The infinite, connective human being that you truly are. And because that's who you truly are, that's what we call the baseline called sanity. Why? Because the word sanity means someone in touch with reality. And the reality is you're awesome. And you know that while you're in here. Like, you know that while we're connecting now. You know you're awesome. And that's reality. Except what? We have this incredible fable, a narrative that started as children and wove ourselves a personality that you can't even see. You can't even see how it works. And you're already doing it way before you'd ever realize. You're already doing your chess moves to protect the king or to protect the queen before you'd ever know you were doing that. But right now, in this room, we can have a state of sanity of how awesome we are. There's a beautiful child in you underneath all those layers. Because think about it. What is the definition of insanity? It's someone who's out of touch with reality. And what's the definition of sanity? Someone who's in touch with reality. And if the reality is, or as we know it is, that you are created in the image of God, that your body is a physical thing, your brain is a physical thing, but your presence, your actual conscious presence right now in this room, is not a physical thing. Think about it. You're a human being. The human part I see... It includes your brain. Your brain's part of, part of your body. But the conscious presence that you're hearing me with right now is the soul. You're hearing me with your soul. And your soul's connected at all times. It only knows now. Future and past are psychological realities. They are constructs. The conscious presence that you have right now is USB cable interfaced with the unfolding of God's infinity into finite, right here, right now. And if you're in touch with reality, otherwise known as sane, you're hooked in. And that means that you're in touch with the soul, which means you're loving yourself, you're loving others, and you're experiencing that unfolding, which means you're loving God. This is available every moment of your life. It is a muscle perhaps now for you, but it is something that you can get better and better at until it becomes the new baseline. 
and the times you get pulled out by the, you know, the, the personality woven protective layers and you get pulled out and your brain starts its calculations and it keeps projecting yourself into the future and dealing with the past, which is where the whole personality came from. When we get eclipsed, when our presence gets eclipsed by the mind, you notice it immediately. You notice it immediately. Whereas when most of your time is in a mind-based, calculated existence, so you notice only the consciousness now that you're made, that I am creating for you right now. It's just your pure conscious state which we call the beautiful child in you. Uh, I would love to turn off the air. Oh, that'd be good. Mode, fan, cool power, off. Yeah. For the song, for sure. We'll see you later. We'll do it off for this song for the song, so we don't have those fans sucking air the whole time. When you're a musician, you're like, <laughs> the slightest noise is like a fingernail on a chalkboard. I make my classes like sweat in Jerusalem <laughs> when I break up my guitar. everything you thought and all that you believed about yourself that whole story hold it in your hands right now and just let it go you got to look at it you got to hold it in your hands you can't just let it go because you got to first look at it because if you don't know what it looks like it'll get you before you know it you gotta know what it is. You gotta know those road signs when you're heading down that road. Take a smaller step. Take a deeper breath. Let your motor cool. Slow down to a crawl as your defenses fall. Feel your soul refuse Everything you thought All that you believed Hold it in your hands And let it go Nothing left to fear Open to receive Setting free the child Beautiful child in you. Do a little dance. Sing a simple song. Laugh so hard you're crying. Chase a butterfly. Climb a mountainside. Once again you're flying 
person of your dreams coming into view. Nobody can take that dream away. Somebody who trusts, somebody who shares, someone like the child, the beautiful child in you. your eyes a moment and see that beautiful child that you were when you were two years old if you can remember it from a photograph or and in your mind's eye reach out your arms to that child pick up the child wrap your arms around the child kiss the child on the top of the head Hold that child. That child is the happiest you ever were. And interestingly, that child had no self-awareness, no self-image. The child was awareness itself, the most alive, the most energized, the most loving, the most freely spoken and expressed. happiest you ever were. And that child has been waiting for you. Whisper to the child, I'm sorry I let you go. And tell the child it's okay to cry. And just hold the child. If the child needs to cry, let the child cry. Sometimes people call me about my seminar and they're like, is this going to help build my self-image? I'm like, no, it's actually going to get rid of it. 
if you think about it, our self-image is exactly our problem. Think about that. I'm just going to pause a moment. Our self-image is exactly our problem. That's exactly what holds us back. That's exactly where all our fears lie. Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of being, fear of being controlled by others, the fear of the unknowns, the fear of you know, pain, suffering. All of that comes from our self-image. And think about it. I love the word self-image, by the way. It's amazing. What's the word image mean? What's it short for? Imagine. So it's the self-image. is the imaginary self. Like our little imaginary self. Another thing funny about the word self-image is like Google Images. What's the word image actually mean? It's a picture. The self-image is a picture of yourself, except when did you shoot the shot? When did you take the snapshot? If you're like anyone else in the world, you took the snapshot probably when you were about nine, ten years old, six years old, five years old, four years old. Various snapshots along the way. And it's a very expensive thing, the self-image. It affects our health. It affects our wallets. Every one of us is envious of simple people. Once in a while, you meet someone who's just so simple. And they have something that, that like no one else has. And we're envious of them. And the chances are, if we really met someone like that, with that kind of joy and that kind of simplicity, that they're actually, they've done their work. That's why they're there, because they've done their work. There. Oh, I just want to give credit. Uh, it's my brother Sam over there. He wrote The Beautiful Child. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> my brother Sam actually is uh, trained in being a possible leader and, and has, uh, has led seminars and, and wrote this song specifically for, for the work. So it's really exciting for you to play it in, in your presence. <laughs> Thank you. I hope I performed it up to par. Nailed it. <laughs> OCD what? <laughs> what CD? What CD? So OCD is it on? So you know what I do for a living. You know, it's like dealing with people. So um, anyway, it's on. Uh, it's on. Uh, it's on. Uh, the truth is, is anyone who wants it, just email me. It's yomtovglazer at gmail. I can send it to you with the lyrics. Um, but it's actually part of a double CD set that possibly graduates. You need a password to get it because it's super heavy meditations on going down the rabbit hole of yourself. So people who have finished the work can always go back. Because, by the way, we're like onions. There's no silver bullet. Meaning whatever you work on in the possibly seminar, whatever layer of your stuff that you work through is... Is, is just that layer. Later you find other layers and you work through those and you can use the work we do later for years and years and years. I'll tell you a layer I never expected to find. I'm, I'm embarrassed to share this with you, but I'll share a layer. I don't, know if, I don't know if I shared this with you. But the... I don't know what was up with our parents, but it was a generation... Anyone here was in their 50s, 40s to 60s you know what I'm talking about, perhaps, growing up in uh, suburban America, is that I don't know what was going on, but it was like the world was almost too safe. 
It was almost too safe. Like where we grew up in West LA, I think the closest pedophile was like nine zip codes away. There, there, to be a burglar in our neighborhood meant you'd get caught by the time you got back to the inner city. Like there's just no way to drive from our place having burglarized. We didn't even lock our door. We didn't either. I mean, do, do we even have a key for our house? I did, did you have a... We had an alarm system that we never used. It was just a red light on the front door. <laughs> And, and so our parents' sense of security was extremely high. And it was just like, a, I don't know if it was an era where nothing can happen. You're like Teflon, you know, like just nothing's going to happen. And, and so we were raised, thank God, because we're all like, you see, we're all like B'nai Torah today. We were raised with just like, go out and figure it out. Like, just go figure it out. You know, there, there's no edge. There's no limits. And that's how we live. We live on a don't tell me the odds mentality. And we just, we just go for it. And it's the weirdest thing because we weren't really raised with a lot of God consciousness. But the only reason our parents' philosophy of just go do it works is because God's going to create it for you. I mean, I should have died like so many times from the stupid surfing moves. I mean, like, like, like parking my motorcycle after two miles up an Indonesian beach. And I only parked it there because I noticed other motorcycles with like surfboard covers on the, on the sand. So I said, there must be waves out there, except the waves were breaking so far out I couldn't see them. They were a mile out. Now, the sun was coming down, and I said, I'll grab it. So I paddle out there. It turns out, while I'm paddling a mile out, I see every surfer come in. So now I'm out there, and the waves are 25 feet, and I'm by myself, and the sun dips under the horizon. And it was a thing, one after the other, these things were going on. And, and car accidents, and I remember like watching them in slow motion, these car accidents. I had one car accident, it was in a stolen car, of course. It was, to, it was the neighbor's car, but, but we, used to, we weren't 16 yet, and so sometimes it was the neighbor's car. So anyway, this was two blocks, this was a two block long accident, you know, with like fire hydrant shooting over the windshield. I've literally had my own view of such a thing. And uh, the, the, it was a giant... Remember the Oldsmobile station wagons? A giant, you remember that station wagon? A giant Oldsmobile station wagon. So it like fishtailed and took out an entire brick wall that went into a swimming pool and destroyed the bottom of the pool. I mean, it was like crazy. And then finally, like after two blocks from 70 to zero, hits a retaining wall, at which point we run. And, you know, I think we we're 15 years old. We run. And I get to my house. It's four in the morning. And I'm going for the, uh, my, towards my bedroom when the phone rings. And I'm like, uh-oh. And you know, remember the old days with lights on the phone? You pick it up right when you see the light go on, when your parents picked it up. So I pick it up with the light on. And it's my neighbor. <laughs> They're like, is Johnny home? Johnny's my English name. And, and my parents are like, of course, it's four in the morning. He's in bed. And they're like, we believe he's been in a major car accident. <laughs> and my parents are like, don't be crazy. And he's, he's home in bed. And, and they said, why don't you go check? Now, what I didn't realize was that my forehead had hit the dashboard, and there was blood all over my face. <laughs> so, so I quickly run to my bedroom, jump under the covers. I'm in my full clothes with shoes. Jump under the covers. And <laughs> <laughs> the light goes on. 
They're like, Johnny, I'm like trying to sleep. They look at me, I'm covered in blood. They're like, get out of it. You know? They see I'm fully clothed. I'm like. Anyway, there were no edge. There was no edge. There was no edge. And you ready for this? That no edge. And I only discovered that. I started the seminar 16 years ago, a year ago. Almost to the date, maybe nine months ago, I discovered. This was in a seminar in Muncie where I'll be in two weeks. Please join me. A men's seminar and a women's seminar. In, in a, it starts Sunday, December 3rd, is the men's. Women's starts December 4th. I'm in Muncie, 52 men in this big room, when I'm discovering this layer of my onion that I felt so unsafe growing up because no one ever showed me the edge. I never knew where the edge was. And all those crazy daredevil, insane antics that I did daily, every kind of adventurous thing that I did, was really my fight. Remember, one was what you think about, what you believe about yourself. It's a belief. It's not even true. Because I was safe, but I felt unsafe. And that doesn't matter. The fact that you were smart doesn't matter if you think you're dumb. And if your parents didn't restore you, dumb's what locks in. Loser and unacceptable is a belief. It's not true. But if my parents didn't restore me, then that's what I believed and wove a personality around to the point where it locked into my voice and my colon. Thank God. But I'm happy with my voice in the end. And I'm also happy with my colon. So it's like... What locked in for me was a belief that I'm unsafe. And so my way to survive that, step two, remember I was doing step one, step two. Step, remember step two for my kid was she's never trying out again for a play? Step two for me was I'm going to go find out if I'm safe. I'm going to go see if I'm safe. And then I went and risked my life over and over and over and over again in the most stupid moves that statistically there's no way I should be standing here right now if it weren't for the fact that God was running the show and protecting me so you could hear this, I guess. Still trying to, or have all those kids. I don't know what I'm doing here. So (laughs) I'm certainly not here for me at this point. (laughs) You know that feeling when you realize, like, you're not here for you anymore. Like, you're, you're, de- you're definitely here for other people. Which is kind of a nice feeling. Did I make it? I never made a bracha. I made a bracha? It wasn't a very impressive bracha. I don't remember it. After our whole bracha meditation, I'm embarrassed. Well, how long does the Oh, that's a good point. Only if you drink a... Uh, I don't think I drank enough. Never mind. I'm going to the next halacha. I was just lubricating my throat. I'm not thirsty. <laughs> not thirsty. Okay, listen up. Listen up. We got we to gotta, we gotta start reeling it in a bit. We're doing okay, but we got to reel it in. Okay? Now, listen. 
I'm going to go push the limits. But here's step three. I did not share with you all step three. Step three is the following. It's called the law of economy. It's the most important law in economy. And that is that you only trade a lesser good for a greater good. You only trade a lesser good for a greater good. You guys traded your money to be at this Shabbos because somehow in your mind, I'm still trying to figure out why, you thought your money was a lesser good than this Shabbos. When you buy a cola, you hand them $2. You're making a statement. They're making a statement. They're like, we're happy you believe that about your $2 and about this Coke. And they hand you the Coke, you hand them the $2, everyone's happy. Marketing firms, which you should use if you're trying to sell something, are really good at creating the perception of the value you offer so that people will actually pay the money for your work or for your product. Every single thing you're doing in your life. You guys chose this class because you thought that, well, of all the classes, I'll benefit more by sitting here than sitting somewhere else. So you're here. And everyone in their rooms thought they'd benefit more from that one. That's all you do. It's the law of economy. It's going on all the time. Everywhere you go, every decision you're making is just what's the greater good, what's the lesser good? What's the greater good, what's the lesser good? Now, here's the crazy part. You ready for this? Is that the impact of believing a bunch of Sorry, I'm going Yiddish. Mishugas. Mishugas means craziness. The impact, the impact, the space shuttle crash impact of believing a bunch of mishugas of craziness about yourself and then weaving a whole personality that has made you untouchable in your relationships in the deepest way. You're untouchable to the point where even your own spouse is married to those layers. Even your own spouse is married to these layers. And how do I know that? Because you all think, what do you mean? I mean, my spouse is in. Is that I get the feedback from every graduate of the possible you that after the seminar, they say they feel married for the first time. And their spouse is the one who usually says it. I know for myself, because when I came back from South Africa, I spent the whole night up with my wife And she said she felt married for the first time the next day when I broke it through that layer of my onion. And we had not, we'd been married seven years without a single fight. The law of economy says you only trade a lesser good for a greater good. So what we do at this point, and this is the crazy part, is that hiding in some blind spot is massive impacts of having lived your life based on a narrative from five years old. There are massive impacts. It is a nuclear fallout called your life. And that's even living an amazing life. That's driving the Audi. That's with a family. It's a nuclear disaster. When someone generates from, because you're all generating, but think about it. You're a human being. The being of who you are is your neshama. Where does the neshama generate from? Hashem. But when I'm generating from some crazy story, and then I have to cover up that story, so I'm generating from the cover-up, and which means I'm generating from nowhere, which means I'm getting exhausted in my life. My life's exhausting me. 
Whereas when I'm generating from MS, the MS of who I am, the present self, the true conscious neshama that God created, and I've dropped this stupid story, all of a sudden my energy source is infinite. And I do the same things. I still can sing. Believe me, I learned to sing because I had a brother and I had a belief, number one again, I had a belief that I'm not as good as Sam. This is an old, this is an old one. I'm not as good as Sam. And so I couldn't play keyboards. My fingers were like little potato tots, you know. And so I grabbed a guitar. Well, I'll play guitar. Everyone loves a guitar player. And, and I'll sing. But let me tell you that when you play concerts from that place, are you giving or taking? You giving a concert or taking? I was a rabbi for 10 years from 23 to 33. In South Africa, I was 33. Was I giving classes or taking? I was taking classes from the people I was going to be loved. They were going to love me. They were going to think I was the coolest rabbi. And I would get home energized or exhausted? Exhausted. And how much do you receive when the rabbi's taking? Not much. You get what you get. It's a nuclear disaster to be generating from something not true. And what happens is, step three, is when you get tuned in and present to the impact of it all, to the impact of how much you pay for this Coke. When you realize how much you pay for this Coke. So there I am, Muncie, 52 executives in the room. I don't know where I got these guys. It was a giant boardroom filled with, with businessmen. Several people have already cried their eyes out. I mean, it's been such an intense program. And I'm sharing with them now how to do the work around midway through the seminar when I realized I felt unsafe and I pushed the limits. And I'm talking about the crazy stuff that happened to me and et cetera, like I shared with you. When all of a sudden I realized the impact, everyone say the word impact, step three, impact. When I realized the impact of generating from this stupid story how it was affecting my wife. Let me tell you something about my wife. Her father was a steel manufacturer building staircases. Sleeps with a gun under his pillow. His forearms are bigger than my thighs. He is the protector. That is who this man is. He is the protector. And if you think that's his only gun, there's more. The locking system in his house was glatt. The, <laughs> the alarm system was on. And everybody was protected. And that little girl called my wife slept well at night. 
And for, we're married 23 years, for 22 years, my wife would wake up in the morning, go out to get the paper in front of our door in Jerusalem to find the door unlocked. And she would come up to me when I woke up, this happened almost daily, she'd come up to me and say, the door's unlocked. And I would look at her and I'd say, see how safe it is? <laughs> and she'd be like, tears in her eyes. Like, you're taking care of us? You're not taking care of us. And I'm like, I don't need to. It's so safe. <laughs> Look how safe we are. Which is a principle in general called uh, delusion. <laughs> what is self-delusion? Self-delusion is when you... You're living inside some crazy story, and then you just recreate the world around that. That's self-delusion. Now, I have this wonderful son who's, uh, at this point, he's 20. He was 19 at the time. And don't ask why I did this, but I have a very mature son. He's, uh, he's also a professional life coach, and he's coaching the executives, 19-year-old Hasidic boy. He's on the far side of the room watching me. And I realize, I'm talking about my wife now, and I realize, what about my son of Rami? And I look over to the corner of the room, and I see he's crying. And I say to him, in front of all these men, I say to him, what's going on over there? And he says, you used to leave me in the forest. You took me mountain biking as soon as I could walk and trained me as a mountain biker. He's a hardcore mountain biker. At one point, he was one of the number one riders in all of Israel. He was the number one rider. According, according to the number one riders, he was the number one rider. And I was a little kid. I could barely walk five years old riding mountain bikes down mountains. There were times where I fell and where my bike was and where I wound up was 50-foot distances. But at the end of our rides, you were so jonesing to do your ride that you would leave me in the middle of the forest and take another hour loop for the adult fun. And I would go do my loop. And I would sit there in the forest, and sometimes it was longer than an hour. But there was this one time, and now he's bawling. He could barely talk. There was one time where it was three hours. And I was sure you were never coming back. Now, at this point, I was next to him. And we fell in each other's arms. And we bawled together. We just bawled together. And all the men are bawling. There's 52 men in there. There's, everyone's bawling. I'm crying now, too. And I'm holding my son. And we're just crying over this insanity. And why it is that we have to poison the next generation with our story that is such a, that a story that no that should never have even gotten airtime, a story that should never have become a screenplay that they would be in. <laughs> At which point I realized we're still crying and all the men are watching us, so I said, 10-minute break. <laughs> and we held each other for 10 more minutes while they were on break. And then I stepped out of that 
ground zero hell that I created. And I'm going to ask you guys, is there ever a night where my door is not locked in my house in Jerusalem since that day? Tell me, yes or no? No, there is no night where that door is not locked. And I got a seven-year-old who I've taken mountain biking since. And do you think I left that kid for a second? That is called personal transformation. Personal transformation is where you get the law of economy involved. Where you get present to the impact of this totally inauthentic way of being. And you step out of there, and you can never go back there. If you found a shop that ripped you off, can you imagine you got your credit card bill, and you're like, this is way bigger than I was expecting. What's going on? So you go over the things, and you see that a particular store that you had purchased something for $650 added a zero. (laughs) It was suddenly (laughs) $6,500. And you go to the store just to tell them their mistake, you know, so they can fix it. And the guy suddenly turns red, and he's like, and you're like, what? He did it purposely? Meaning, you weren't expecting that. It was supposed to be a mistake. Turns out, you popped him. And not only he got popped, but, but it turns out he got popped by everyone else he'd been doing it to. Now tell me, are you ever shopping there again? Tell me, will you ever go back? You're never going back there. And that's personal transformation. Personal transformation is when you get in touch with the impact of a totally inauthentic way of being that comes from a belief from things that you should have shared but you didn't when you were little. Which became beliefs, and I'm not going there today because we don't have time and it's already 9.30 or whatever, 30. And... It becomes a vibration, this point I never really developed, and I'm not going to develop it now, but it becomes a vibrational reality. And if you guys know anything about physics, it attracts more validating stories that become the truth of your story. I Meaning you all probably still, even though I've been saying it's not true, many of you still believe your story's true because it got validated over the years, but that's only because vibrationally you kept attracting it into your life. So it kept revalidating. But the proof's in the pudding. When you step out of there, the person of your dreams coming into view. Nobody can take that dream away. How can nobody take the dream away? What about all the abusive people in my life? Guess what happens? They actually find someone else to bother. You are no longer a vibrational, you are no longer a viable vibrational receptacle to their toxins. They will find someone else to bother. Somebody who trusts. Do you guys know the secret of trust? Have you guys ever learned the secret of trust? All of life works off trust. You develop that attribute, you got it all. But who's going to trust after what we went through? Somebody who trusts. Somebody who shares which is your special contribution to this world, it never really gets going until you start generating from there. Someone like the child, the beautiful child in you. And that's what I came to teach you today, is that the beautiful child 
is you. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.